All right, James, this is the second ever recording of the Unpacked podcast that we've done, and I'm excited to do this. Yeah, immediately after the release of the previous episode, <laughs> we are releasing the second episode. It only took us six months to get here. But, uh... <laughs> it was just big lead times. I think COVID, it took a while to this second mic to get delivered. And that's, that's what we were missing. Uh, it's like the container got lost. There's a whole thing. That's true. And uh, well, we tried making mic and our cameras work for the last two hours. We got the mics working. So that's progress. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, we'll have the cameras uh here cameras plural there's another <laughs> enough i think listener demand to see our, our beautiful faces in another six months give hot takes start reasoned <laughs> analytical thoughts about uh, a variety of topics that's it, true we've also tried to improve our audio quality if you hear a little bit of background noise that's the rain in san francisco so if you hear the rain you're imagining it we we've, we've tried too much to make it go away true. for, not for you to hear that <laughs> all right cool so we're going to do a slightly different episode. So James and I were debating what we want to talk about and kind of threw around a couple of ideas and we decided to do a predictions episode. It's the 14th, no, 16th of January. Well, this is, I guess, as late as you can do a predictions episode <laughs> before being called bullshit on it. So we're excited to do this. I guess we're we're going to go like round robin. We have a few predictions from both of us. James, I guess what we have tried doing is kind of hold ourselves to a reasonably high bar of, you know, not giving non-predictions predictions. Yeah, exactly. I think we're trying to not be the safe bet. But the, so there has to be some sort of heat, I think, to the take. It can't be, we don't, we don't want like screaming hot. You know, maybe we need a Scoville meter to know how hot the take is. But, <laughs> but like it has to be based in reality and some sort of logic to get there. And so That's true. they're fairly reasoned, I think, as we went through it as an outline. But they also can't be safe. Just you know, the, pull it out. The funny thing is, I heard about uh, predictions recently is like, it's always a losing game. If you predict it right, it's like, duh, you know, it, it's obvious in hindsight. And then if you predict it wrong, it's like, you know, well, that was like terribly wrong. Yeah. <laughs> it makes me wonder how, how you know, people in the finance org of, of large companies are able to predict, you know, their financial performance enough. Or, you know, they also have investors on the other side That's true. having their own model. So it's... It's confidence, James. Yeah. I think <laughs> if we just uh, put on a brave face, no one can see us nervously shaking and sweating because yeah. the camera's not up. We'll have to work on that. All right. Cool. Let's dive in. All right, I'll go first. I have one. I know this was the other topic that we kind of debated topic talking about instead of the predictions. And this one is AI copyright. So this has obviously been a topic that's been kind of in the news a lot. A lot of conversations about, you know, a lot of these large language models that use data from different publications on the internet. Like how legitimate is that? It's a lot of contentious issues around it, which are still unresolved. So I have a, I have a prediction around this and I think it's, a bit of like two-part prediction. I think my first part of it is by the end of 2024, I think all of the court rulings around this topic will either remain unsettled or be ruled not in the favor of publishers. That's kind of the first part of it. And then the second part of it is I think there will be a lot more deals happening between publishers and some of these like developers of large language models, not because there has been a court ruling about it, but mostly because there's just like a lot of public attention and scrutiny and things like that can also impact that this kind of information stream has on these products in the long term. So that's my, that's my two-part prediction. I think the adding a little bit more color on the first part, court rulings. So there have been... So the contentious part, I don't know how much you've read about like copyright law, James. Only a couple, you know, no, right. nothing. Right. nothing. So I'm the expert here. No, I don't know. <laughs> okay, I've done a little bit of research on copyright law. And again, I'm not like a legal expert on the topic. But I think essentially the issue that's at stake right now is there's this whole idea of like fair use that is enshrined in like the US copyright law which basically says that you can use content from like other publishers or you can use openly available content for certain specific purposes. Like for example, if you wrote an article and I want to write a criticism about your article, 
that's generally permitted under fair use because you know they wanted to promote free speech and like not you know have too many bureaucratic barriers to like using some of this information so that was kind of like the original rationale behind fair use uh, and then I think what is problematic right now is OpenAI basically, and like a lot of these large language model developers claim that using this information and training models based on this information is technically quote unquote fair use. And it's kind of contentious because fair use usually does not apply to like commercial purposes. So if you develop a model and then you're making money off of that model, it's kind of messy. That's kind of like the one messiness around it. And the second messiness is like, you're technically infringing on copyright only if you like consume information and spit out the same information. But, you know, large language models, it's like a new legally, this is like a new thing where it is consuming information, but it's not spitting out like the exact same thing. It's kind of like derivative, quote unquote. Which is like the source of some of this being in the news was the New York Times lawsuit against OpenAI and Microsoft about how open it. ChatGPT could regurgitate New York Times article, which I think everyone would say if ChatGPT is just writing exactly what New York Times published, that's obviously not fair use. And But it's not exactly like ChatGPT has a bunch of articles you can click on. It, it's kind of this weird like models generating this 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 data. So like I think that it does need some interpretation. But so you were saying that that it, it uh, you'd think it's going to be unresolved because it's still. The model's use of it is fair use. I I personally don't think it's fair use, but I think I think it's going to be unresolved because there are other complications. For example, uh, I don't know if you read about this one recently. There was a case by I don't know if you know Sarah Silverman, mm-hmm. I don't know, but she's like a comedian. Yeah. yeah, so she sued I think OpenAI or one of these companies, and then there was this whole lawsuit about like a bun- bunch of artists versus like stability AI, which makes like stable diffusion like the image version of the large language model. And basically, there were some interesting roadblocks in that case where I think they weren't able to prove that, like you said, regurgitate, right? So, mm-hmm. quote unquote, regurgitate. So, they, a lot of these models, for example, have constraints in the way that they generate output. So, that even if you tell them, hey, write this like the New York Times would write, they don't explicitly do that because it's kind of been like hard coded as, like, you know, don't, don't regurgitate essentially. So it's kind of hard in some of these cases to like prove that there's been exactly copy pasting happening. So there's just like a bunch of nuances like that. And I just don't think courts, maybe, especially in the US, like, you know, maybe EU, some of those are like more progressive when it comes to understanding these issues, but especially courts in the US have maybe ruled more on the conservative side. So I just don't think that there is going to be a favorable ruling for publishers from these cases. The New York Times one is an interesting one because, you know, they're big, have a lot of liars. Yeah, I guess the, uh, I, I, I don't know how I feel about the favorable for publishers or for AI companies. Something I think I find convincing about your thought is that it's probably not going to be resolved this year or maybe in their favor. Something that makes me think is like, this is the kind of area where if things are, you know, economically make sense for both parties, that even if maybe there's an argument about fair use or not, if yeah. they actually think, oh, you know, we could avoid this whole question by just making some sort of distribution agreement, you know, yeah. that like, or OpenAI pays New York Times X amount to be able to train on their data or something like that. Like, there's, I think, a whole bunch of issues in, in the world or in the courts or in politics that never end up getting resolved because no one ends up having the, the incentive to want to resolve this. So I think that's yeah. the part that I find convincing. I think they could find an agreement for how it works, especially if it's a larger publisher. We're going up against OpenAI. I think it's kind of, we, we talked you know off mic a little bit about how how it must be to be a smaller company working with a bunch of large publishers for their content versus if you're really large search engine, for example, and what you can get out of publishers in those cases. So I do find the not going to be resolved this year part convincing. Yeah, that's fair. And I do think that there've been some content deals, which is was like the second part of the prediction, Axel Springer, which is, I think they own Business Insider, Politico, and like a bunch of other media properties. They actually signed a deal with OpenAI, which is kind of like a licensing agreement. Apple supposedly is in like exploratory talks with new news publishers to like license some of this content. So I do think the deal making will happen. The thing that I would probably disagree on the nuance you said is like, I don't know if it's 
ever going to be economically much more beneficial for these companies to license this content? The, the yeah. companies license content, you mean like the publishers to license it out or the AI company to license to use it? I don't think it's going, I don't think the economics are going to work in the favor of publishers. Like if you think about like, you know, advertising CPM maths, like how much math they would make out of, uh, you know, users that come to their websites versus how much money they would make on, you know, licensing on a per article basis or something like that to an open AI. I would imagine that the economics for driven business, the economics for like them getting users to their website is any day going to be like significantly more beneficial than, you know, having their data licensed and not have the traffic come to their websites. Yeah. Or, or they, I think maybe there will be dichotomy for large publishers versus small publishers where large publishers could demand a price that actually makes sense for them. Whereas small publishers will get taken advantage of. For example, the guys you're talking about, a large publisher might be trying to drive users to their website so that they can get CPMs, but maybe they made the move to be a subscription business, but they still would want users coming to their website to get the benefit out of it. And a, a, a difference in how a user uses a search engine versus AI model or these large language models would be that they get their answer from the model and they never end up on the website. So the user never realizes the value they get from paying the subscription. So maybe they'll churn and, and stuff like that. So so I, I do feel like maybe there, there could be a dichotomy, like a, a small no-name blog is going to get <laughs> absorbed. <laughs> Sorry very important blog written by a, a very smart guy in, in San Francisco might lamentably get absorbed, but New York Times, like broad coverage and, and other things, they might demand, you know, some crazy number that if the AI company is to scale, it might be able to. I think the other thing that also makes me more optimistic about the content deals is, uh, I know we've talked about some of this stuff in terms of like, Google having more indexing control, for example, as, a, as compared to other search engines, as compared to other, uh, as compared to other model providers, like OpenAI, for example, they launched this feature like a few months back, where as a website you now have like a flag, like a robots.txt kind of thing, where you could basically tell OpenAI, hey, don't scrape my website, which is kind of similar to like the Google's no index, whatever. I think they had similar constructs there. I can imagine a world where Google can probably, you know, arm twist a bunch of publishers and say, hey, if you don't opt into generatively letting us like scrap your content, maybe we won't index you, which is obviously oppressive, but they probably have the potential to like do that versus something like an open AI where it, there is not much of a quid pro quo as much to a publisher. So I do think that minus Google every other like model platform player at some point of time is probably going to have to play ball with some of these larger providers of content. For sure. Yeah. Maybe add Apple to that list. And yeah. based on, I know you, at some point you wrote about is it Canadian news law or yeah. maybe Australian as well. I think yeah. Facebook might enter that territory as well. It really will be like who has enough traffic they're driving to publishers that the publishers will feel beholden to them. But, uh, you know, maybe OpenAI won't, you know, they have impressive growth for consumer use of chat GPT, yeah. but will that ever be, you know, durable or more than likely, you know, people are going to stick to using their, their iPhones and Androids and, and et cetera. And so it, it'll kind of be like interesting to see what kind of concessions Apple and Google get out of these publishers versus OpenAI. That'll be an interesting thing to see as well. Totally. That makes sense. And I, th I think a bunch of these large platforms that have a lot of content have also kind of explicitly talked about how they don't intend to give away their content for free. Like Reddit had this whole thing where they shut down their third-party API, which had other repercussions, but like that was part of uh, their like AI cutting down stuff. Twitter, I think, did like the same thing. Stack Overflow has been like a bunch of transformation because, you know, essentially like write, writing code and like answering debugging questions probably more solvable with like a co-pilot or like a GPT kind of thing. So I do think a lot of these large providers of content have also have signaled more and more that it has to be like a quid pro quo and it just can't be like you take the content for free. For sure. It would be, they, I think, would have some, be skeptical of their leadership if someone was willing to give away their, their content because <laughs> a lot of these places, the, they were able to build this user base or this content source that the other large tech companies couldn't or 
didn't move fast enough to do so. And so their, their value prop is their content and community. So they, they should be defensive about it, but I think they, they have to figure out, or maybe as an industry, the industry has to figure out what the quote unquote supply chain is for user, you know, at the top of the funnel on a search engine or talking to an LLM or, or yeah. et cetera, and how they end up in a site and what's the kind of remuneration that goes between the places, you know, the, if you're never sending a user to your site, that's, yeah. I can, I can see more of a reason why you should pay someone for the, their data. If they're never sending a user to your site or <laughs> yeah, totally. I, I don't know. I think, um, I think there could, we have examples of programmatic like exchange of data, let's say yeah. for money than ad exchanges on the open web today. So the, it's possible that something could develop where there's like programmatic access to data that needs to be paid for, but, yeah. but yeah, well, to be seen. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That's my first one. Coach rulings on Settled Dubai end of 2024 and uh, more and more content deals happening. Cool. Yes. Uh, my turn for giving a, a prediction and I'll start with mine that will also be by end of year, something that I think it will start to happen. <clears throat> And a little bit more, I guess yours is a little neutral. Mine is a little pessimistic, which is that I, I guess I'm going to characterize that currently we're in an AI bubble. We've had a lot of startups, mm -hmm. you know, we say AI, but, you know, powered by large language models. We've been around for a while, but I think companies have, and founders have started to figure out how to monetize these or how to use them for something of economic value. And so my, my take is that the current AI bubble will begin begin to end by end of year. Where I'm working back from that is, you know, making the assumption that startups have around two years of runway. And chat GPT craze, when it first started getting big, I feel like that's when LLMs really broke into like the, the normie sphere of the world. Because I think the preceding yeah. summer or preceding year, there was some, uh, I remember some of my friends playing around with LLM that generates images and that's, that was yeah. fun. I remember people <laughs> playing around with those, but it didn't enter, I would say, normie sphere, but ChatGPT Chat GPT did so in Q4 of 2022. And so combining that date with my assumption around two years of runway for startups, that comes to Q4 2024 when the runway runs out. So. <laughs> A little bit built into the assumption is obviously that did the startup start before ChatGPT released or afterwards? So that's why I caveat it saying it's the beginning of the end. But I do think it's it's going to be crunch time for LLM powered startups starting at the end of the year. What do you think is the what what part of the runway kind of makes you think that we're at the end of the bubble? Like, do you think they don't have more money to go on? Is this more like? They're not able to monetize. Is it getting like commoditized? Like, what's the underlying root cause behind it? So exactly, they're getting to the one as a group. They're all getting to the end of their their runway from initial funding, or you know, I'm not an expert in startup funding, yeah. but like from yeah. their existing round, mm -hmm. and so they're going to need another round. And so I kind of break that down to those that are like consumer focused AI startups and enterprise SaaS AI startups and what they need to do to get their next round of funding. Okay. And so I think another thing that's changed in the intervening time that like kind of adds in the background here is uh, everyone loves to talk about how interest rates have changed. So investors are need to get more from their, their startup investments. They, they want to see more performance. They expect more. Yep. So startups have to show more. And so I'd say that, that like the consumer facing ones are going to have a harder time because as a consumer facing thing like ChatGPT, not that they're they're trying to do that as their main business, but if imagine something similar, ChatGPT, if you're a startup trying to do something similar and like be the place that consumers go, they need to break out of Google and Apple's control or they need to be so important or crucial to users that the users are going directly to them and, and not via google.com or via via the app store or however Apple yeah. might intervene. And and so they have to do that now where these two companies have, you know, large presence, everyone's lives. Like we're all happy with their products, but it's hard to compete against their products against consumers. Yeah. And and combine that with non-zero interest rate environments. I imagine investors would want to see more user growth or be less willing to say, yeah, go crazy, yeah. just lose tons of money and go for growth and spend on marketing and grow, 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 because they they have other investments they could make otherwise. So at least for the consumer-based ones, it's all about how how can they 
break through the walls of, of Google and Apple to appease their investor appetite for the next round. Oh, I'm also curious, like what, I don't know if you saw the GPD store launch that happened like recently. I'm wondering something like that also like starts playing out more into next year where, you know, if you if a lot of these applications, it becomes much easier to actually create your own GPD based applications and things like that. This may be a race to the bottom commoditization in terms of how much, you know, how much you can charge, for example, for like a product. For sure. It's basically a wrapper around the GPT. Yeah, like the, the app store for, for chat GPT things. And that's good for open AI and chat GPT, but not necessarily for independent GPT developer. Cause you know, they, as app store developers have seen, if it becomes crucial enough to users, Apple will develop it themselves. And then pretty much users will use Apple's thing. Yeah. And so they'd run the same risk as GPT. But at the same time, the interesting part about that is will chat GPT be crucial enough that users are coming to that to enable Third-party developers. That that that's okay. that's going to be an interesting dy- dynamic. And it would be interesting if we suddenly invented yet another app store that actually works well. That that would, yeah. that would be very interesting. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think I generally agree with that. I think I think maybe what might be interesting to see is like what happens with the non-startup world and AI. You know, like I can, for example, imagine like there's probably like SaaS products that are right now building out features that aren't like AI features themselves, but it's basically like AI features within an existing like SaaS product. Maybe some of those actually turn into like a mature features and mature products by towards the end of the year. Yeah, I agree. I framed my component about specifically SaaS startups, but I do think all the, what's called the the news we saw around how Google's workspace will include AI features and same with Microsoft Office. I think those are all start coming to fruition this year as well. And I was imagining that same pipeline or same development process life cycle where SaaS startups would be probably ending in crashing and burning or, or maybe <laughs> a low payout acquisition by larger companies as they, as they have to get people to be paying them. It's definitely people seeing stuff yeah. added to their, I guess another one you could add there, maybe Salesforce. If you use Salesforce, stuff added in by Salesforce, stuff added in by Google, yeah. stuff added in by Microsoft, it's probably going to really uh, uh, keep people tied to their workspace products and might make it tougher for SaaS startups because they, you know, I already get it for free from my existing <laughs> provider is a tough thing to, to break through. So yeah, no, definitely. I do think that. Yeah, that makes sense, James. Good prediction. Almost towards the end of the AI startup cycle. Yes. You know, I'm certain it won't, it's not doom and gloom. Like yeah. it's part of the life cycle of startups that they would be closing shop. I do think that uh, despite the general feeling in, in the Bay and in tech with layoffs that people feel pessimistic, but I do think it's going to enable a lot more jobs afterwards. It's part of the natural process in my mind. Totally. That makes sense. All right. I have, I have something that's maybe like related to some of like the AI application stuff that we talked about. One of the really interesting things that I was like reading about recently, I think that there's going to be an emergence or like a comeback of device-based AI applications. Uh, I don't know if you remember like the shitty version of like Microsoft Cortana that used to be there. Or Samsung Bixby. Samsung Bixby, yeah. Or even like Siri today, right? Like I think Siri is actually like a pretty terrible assistant. Like it does very few things. It maybe works okay with some of Apple's own applications, but like otherwise, you know, even if you ask it for like basic questions to like look up on the internet and stuff like that, it's very, very limited in terms of what the functionality is. And even on Mac, for example, or like Windows for that matter, there isn't really that much of like intelligence search, like, you know, Mac Spotlight maybe does like an okay job of looking at stuff that's like within your device. But I do think that there's probably a huge opportunity in terms of having some of these like AI co-pilots that are more inherently, like more natively embedded into your device. I think Microsoft talked a little bit about them having some of these like co-pilot, co-pilot kind of features as part of the new Windows laptops that they're like launching in the future. But I think that there's probably going to be like a re-emergence of some of these applications. Maybe, you know, Siri becomes like a much better Siri and not like the terrible version of Siri. Alexa, like the literally the only reason I use Alexa in my house is to like control lights and like occasionally 
turn on an alarm. And that's just like such a shitty use case for something that could potentially be like a really powerful mm-hmm. capability with what LLMs can do today. So yeah, that's my prediction. I think there's going to be more device-based AI applications coming up this year. I think I found that pretty convincing. Um, curious how I would tie it to like a little bit how we talked about earlier in your first take, which was about uh, where we were talking a little bit about the supply chain for information to the LLM for the training. Yeah. But let's apply that same concept to this take. Do you think like if we talk about not like not like the Alexa dot, if we talk about Siri on your iPhone or yeah. on, on your laptop or same Microsoft's version on, on Windows devices, Will app developers have to do anything to be able to enable these more, right? Because we want them to do more than just the alarms or the lights. Will there need to be changes by third-party app developers to enable this, do you think? Or is there is that part of the revolutionary technology here that they don't need to do that now? That's a good question, actually, yeah. Um, I think that there are like some existing constructs for app developers to make themselves like Siri available, for example. Like I know there's some of these shortcuts and as an app developer, you can have some like particular things that you expose so that those tasks can be done through Siri. And I know that both Apple and Android has probably like struggled to get adoption from like developers for some of those features. So it's an interesting question. Like I do think that there's probably like a good amount of things that Apple could potentially do on their own without actually having to like lean in that heavily on some of these applications you know maybe microsoft is like maybe like desktop devices is like a much better example um, where especially if you have like a microsoft device and if you have like the windows ecosystem maybe there's like more things that work well with each other Uh, so yeah i think you're probably right like there's maybe some element of like having to get developers to adopt some things so that the assistant has, you know, pipes into what things can be done. But I definitely think even within the existing construct of, you know, whatever is available, there's probably like more things that can be done. Yeah, I agree. And I, but I do think I'm going to be pessimistic for startups here. I think yeah. I interesting to see how these assistants can get smarter and be yeah. more useful. Yeah. But it'll be, be done by whoever owns more oh, yeah. of the OS. Yeah, yeah. I think there's two startups I would highlight that folks have probably seen in the news. There was the humane AI pen thing. <laughs> Once you get through giggling about like when the heck would I use this device, it looks cool, but like yeah. it's not convincing enough really, I think, for most people. But the, I think their play is more like, well, you're just going to use this. And so they, the third party developer thing isn't really a question. It's kind of like we're maybe it's more of an Apple oriented approach where it's like we develop everything. Like, Think about Apple Watch, how much you yeah. use a third-party app versus an Apple app in Apple Watch. I think their their development's a little bit like that. But there's another one that I thought was pretty interesting too. That I think they announced at CES. I'm not sure. I think the the product was called like the Rabbit something or other. But zooming in onto exactly what it offers, besides being like a trying to be an AI powered experience to do interactive stuff yeah. or like an assistive replacement, the, the the effect that it or the way it did it was you signed in on their website to your different, I think like apps and stuff. Hmm. I remember reading about okay. how like to operate Spotify, the first login on their website and like login as Spotify. Okay. And log into your Spotify, which I think they're doing without Spotify's consent, so to speak. Hmm. So, uh, which is an interesting hack, yeah. but things <laughs> like something that's not durable, like it'll, it'll work until they block it. Right. That's fair. And, and so for that to actually work, you would want to be like the OS provider, like yeah. telling app developers, these are the kind of things you can do so that you can make it so it's more assistant enabled. That makes sense. Uh, it's kind of exists on specifically the music example exists today. And like I, my house has Google home. Yeah. You can link your music service, but imagine like there's a generic link, everything like, why can't yeah. you link, link your deli- food delivery provider? You know, like if I always order the same yeah thing from delivery can i just ask my assistant to do it like what would it take to do that and i think that is the kind of thing that you could do with llms today where you could have this feedback loop with the user users actually understanding each other that i could see be possible with an llm that was not possible before Hmm. i wonder if there's like an intermediary layer here you know like like doordash for example let's say doordash had their own voice enabled search Right? Because like DoorDash knows their app, they have 
incentives to actually make the user interface easier so that you know you literally don't have to like type in switch the same restaurant again the same dishes again and things like that hmm. i wonder if there's like an intermediary layer where maybe there's a natural language interface for each app that they're incentivized to have to make whatever users are doing easier and then siri just like interfaces with that layer instead like i don't know if like i've used like my fitness pal i don't even know why i use it anymore but like uh, <laughs> yeah you look like super jack man i don't know you don't need that anymore i've used it for like many years now and it's just like so terrible to add anything it's like literally every time i need to add something it's like five clicks to like do what i want to do which seems like a huge opportunity for something like an LLM where it's like if you can build a natural interface just say things and it figures out what the actions is maybe there's a that intermediary layer where maybe Siri doesn't have to do all of the indexing work and it just talks to this other layer yeah like maybe the developer just needs to add some hints and because there's a kind of contrasting even yeah. separate out your two examples my fitness pal i wouldn't expect very much development horsepower behind that app where they're probably not investing deeply they're probably <laughs> just grinding it out for or something today <laughs> yeah exactly they're just grinding it out for its value yeah. so we'd want siri to be able to navigate and fill that out on its own That's and my fitness yeah. pal is probably not building the features but the doordash tech forward probably cares yeah but there might be a more seamless interaction for for Dor- for Siri natively with DoorDash because they can specify, I don't know, some metadata of okay. like what the user needs. It, it's maybe it won't be quite their whole own assistant, but right. maybe there's some sort of like prompt engineering or like kind of how OpenAI is trying to do their specific GPTs. Maybe yeah. Siri or like the, there's going to be a GPT SDK on, on or however, GPT kit on <laughs> iOS that will let Siri do that. So yeah, yeah. Could see something like that. That, that. that would be really exciting. Yeah. All right. What do you got, James? All righty. So for my next one, I, you know, hopefully all our viewers are, yeah. you know, we're, we're spreading the globe. A lot of new people who listen to us, but more than likely, it's probably people that I've convinced to listen to this and they're my <laughs> friends and they would know that I'm generally an optimistic guy. So it's, yeah. I'm, I'm two for two for pessimistic takes here. <laughs> so now that I've caveated that, my next take will be that big tech companies will continue to do layoffs in 2024. Okay. But it'll be because of AI efficiencies or LLM powered efficiencies Hmm. and not necessarily because of some dire economic situation. And this will be a lead in to non-tech companies adopt or also doing similar type layoffs as I say, 2025, maybe 2026 is more realistic. I'm I'm not familiar with development cycles for non-tech companies. (laughs) Yeah. And so that's the base take. It's coming from, you know, like big tech companies, they're tech forward. They have talent there. They've been iterating on it. They've been applying it to their internal needs and uh, they can be adopt. They can be adapting their business processes to incorporate LLMs, which will, talking in very vague economic terms, yeah. <laughs> increase productivity and they'll be able to do thing the same thing with with fewer people. It's kind of like, you know, in the past you'd have to have a phone salesperson and mm-hmm. now someone could find sign up on a website. Like imagine that, but yeah. somehow, you know, a transition because of, of AI. And they have this kind of dual pressure now that I feel like a lot of companies are are getting pressured to be more profitable. And yeah. so while maybe in the past they might have sat on their laurels a little bit, like look at this efficiency we're getting, yeah. but not never necessarily doubled down on Profiting is the wrong word. Profiting on the efficiency gain by you know downsizing their workforce to really show that profits on their on their bottom line. I think now they have that pressure, and so that means that these layoffs will will continue. Yeah, I think that's a reasonable thing. Maybe the one thing I would push back on is I'm not I'm not sure how much of this effect you know how much of the AI efficiency effect do you see within the next year versus like the next you know three or five years maybe like maybe there is some effect of like looking forward three five years they're maybe hiring less next year or maybe they're like sharing people next year thinking three five years out but i don't know i think i'm maybe a little bit skeptical that some of the effect of this is going to show up you know in like the next 12 months hmm yeah like i'm curious like have you seen engineers be you know like 10%, 20% 10%, 20% more efficient in maybe the last like six months. I, I have a biased response at our company. <laughs> engineers are not able to use Copilot and stuff like that. Okay. It's uh, okay. That's- the legal team is, we're still working out like yep. when we'll be able to use. 
AI powered tools for programming. So I don't, I don't have exposure to it. Yep. I know I have friends that work at companies that do, and they're impressed with how much they, if you, anyone listening is a programmer, like how much yep. boilerplate is no longer a problem Interesting. to right. some extent, it, depending on if you're using like a, a developing development environment that was sophisticated, you know, like compare a text editor to like a VS code or yep. like a real ID, maybe boilerplate was already not a problem, but I think something I wear at my comp or where we work is, or where we're allowed to use LLMs is yeah. in asking, sorry, actually, let me I didn't do this at work. <laughs> I was misremembering yeah. this past winter. There's a, there's a code challenge that happens in the month of December called advent of code. Okay. And what I was trying, what I wanted to get a sense of this, I was testing and I was, I was programming whatever. And then the challenges were like annoying interview questions. Like, all software engineers go through early career. And what I was trying was whenever I was ran into a bug or couldn't figure out what was wrong with my algorithm, yeah. like debugging, like a recursive algorithm, I copy and pasted this code that, yeah. you know, for this silly problem. And I asked chat GPT, you know, what's, what am I doing wrong here? Yep. And it wasn't perfect. It had like the, it had the right theory, but it wasn't exactly spitting out the right code. But what I, what I did notice, I compared that feedback loop to how, Previously, I would do stuff, which yeah. was, you know, search search it on the internet, find a set stack <laughs> overflow link, yeah. click on it. It's not exactly my use case. And okay. they're like, okay, no, back, go to the next one. Not exactly my use case. But now that I've looked at two stack overflow things yeah. about it, I kind of like, oh, I can see like what's drawing here. Yeah. And basically, I skipped that whole step and ChatGPT kind of summarized yeah. what the issue was and what the approach should be. And so from that personal experience, I can see already like the feedback loop for iterating on problems could make you faster. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to tell you like okay. you yeah, 10x or 2x, but I can already see four companies that are, if we're talking about programmers, which is like the, the act that I'm most familiar with. Okay. I can already see improvement for those, but I could imagine other processes that folks do that are, don't even involve something as complex as programming. Maybe it's just summarizing up different reports and organizing them together. That's something that like a human has to do is probably an annoying, but like provides value to people yeah, can be right. probably automated by AI. And yeah, and so I, I feel like I, I see it today. I agree. Yeah. I think I like uh, reasonably agree with what you're saying. Maybe the open question is just like, does this happen in like a year versus yeah. like three years? You know, like I wonder, uh, even with a lot of this stuff, right? Like with like sales, for example, like some of the times I work with sales, like a lot of the problem is like, it's like a data problem. It's like, where does this stuff live? There's some stuff living in like Salesforce, some stuff living in like internal systems. So maybe it actually takes like a year or two to like build and start bringing these things in together. And maybe that actually involves like having more engineers involved in building some of these systems. Um, but yeah, I think I, I, I think I, I like directionally agree with you that maybe in like a three year horizon and start seeing the effects of that. Yeah, I think if I was to join you on that side of the the critique for this take, yeah. I would say I could see companies starting to see the benefit of it, but being reticent to apply it like yeah. wholesale. Like you know, maybe yeah. they had some initial pilot that went well, yeah. but they're not ready to you know have their workforce. But they see it as an opportunity. They're going to do some more tests, and so maybe those tests won't yeah. give them the confidence enough to finish it in in this year. Yeah, and I think some of the stuff that you mentioned about like enterprise permissions for data, stuff like that, and like hesitancy around like giving data to some of these large companies, maybe that also like plays a factor in like slowing all of this stuff down. Yeah. Yeah, especially when it's like a large corpus of information, especially to like a model developer type company. Certainly. Yeah, no, I agree. And yeah. and I think that that thing will be doubly important. Like all these things is from our experience with tech companies, but even yeah. older companies aren't tech so tech forward. Might be even more reticent. I made another note adjacent to this was that like even if this were to happen, I do think there's a lot of things that big companies do today that they yeah. can do because they have the resources to fund like a certain activity. I know this is very abstract, <laughs> but by re requiring fewer people to do so, I feel like that kind of arms smaller companies to do like some high value things that big companies can afford to do, but small yeah. companies can't. But now that they're AI enabled, that they might be able to do it too. So I, I do think that kind of won't be like a net negative and like jobs for people. I feel like a, today I need 20 people at a big tech company. Now you only yeah. need 10. And then there's two other startups that get five people that each to do this kind of thing yeah. that they can do now that they couldn't do before. So I, I do think it's going to be a net, you know, growth and job opportunities. Just, they won't all be concentrated at like one place. That's a good one, James. Cool.
Okay, maybe we shift gears to some non-AI stuff. That sounds great, yeah. <laughs> so far, have we been daring enough to stray from AI is going to pop off? <laughs> okay. okay, cool. I got, I got one. Do you use TikTok? I, I am a second... No, what's the word here? A knock-on user of TikTok. I... I, I Use it jointly with my girlfriend. We <laughs> she uses it and then like open TikTok. She'll like save save <laughs> ones and we'll go through them and laugh together or like you know downtime on the couch if we have like ten minutes we can we'll both look at her TikTok. I don't okay. I don't know why it hasn't entered in my habit. <laughs> yes, the so TikTok. Right. I'm aware. Okay, 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 cool. I got one. I think we're. Uh, I think in the last few years, there's just there's been like an intense amount of momentum towards very short form like tiktok esque content uh my maybe contrary take around this is i think we're probably hitting like peak short form content i think we're probably getting to a place where people are realizing more and more that a lot of this you know has like a lot of second degree effects in terms of like how stressed it makes you how anxious it makes you how your attention spans are dropping and stuff like that so i think that's Maybe more awareness coming on the other side of this right now. Uh, and personally, from I think my own experience, I so I've used I've been using TikTok a lot, maybe like the last I don't know six twelve months, something like that. And I love it. Like I think it's an incredible product. I think there's just like a lot of information that I discovered that I wouldn't organically discover, which I think is incredible. I think I've found myself moving or maybe balancing more and more towards also like medium form content, which is you know not like. 30 seconds but maybe it's like five minutes maybe seven minutes maybe it's like 20 minutes so maybe more like youtube-esque content and less of like tiktok-esque content so i think my my prediction is i think there's going to be some rebalancing happening away from short form content towards more medium form content and i think it will manifest in a couple of ways like one i think youtube is going to grow a lot as a consequence of this and secondly i think TikTok is going to try to move and explore more of the medium form content and how do they actually get in there. Like they do have some random medium form stuff that actually happens like organically. Like people sometimes upload like clips of movies. Like I'm pretty sure it's like (laughs) copyright, legitimate, whatever. But uh, I think TikTok is probably going to try to move more towards like medium form content. Maybe it happens more blatantly, maybe not. But I do think... It, it's been the other way where YouTube moved towards like shots in the past. I think now it's going to be the other way around with TikTok moving towards more YouTube as content. You think this move towards this is, I guess you, you characterized where you think the consumer sentiment is going to be, whether they've peaked in, it sound like interest in short form. And so you, you think you see it as that way as the consumer interest yeah. in short-term video has peaked or hit a local maxima is what your theory is and are those is that necessarily tied to tiktok moving to medium form content because some extent both of these things could happen but they wouldn't necessarily be tied i think it would just make business sense for tiktok to try to expand out of content that provide their users and they could finally afford it yep but do you think those two are necessarily tied uh i think i think it's maybe less saturation in terms of like short form content itself but at least i think from my experience as a user i've probably gotten to a place where it's just like i think there's maybe a point beyond which more and more and more of like really short form content is maybe like less gratifying uh, and also unhealthy i think that realization is like happening so yeah i think i agree with your take on like i do think it is probably in TikTok's interest to start having more stuff that users are more like navigating towards. I think that would probably push the movement towards like medium form content. I think there's maybe also like some versions of this that's happening in like other places, like, you know, Substack's a good example, right? Like where, where maybe there was a lot of focus on like news, 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 short form stuff, Twitter, Twitter Explorer. It's like, and anyone, I used to use Twitter in like a decent amount and then like the last six months it's just been like, okay, I realized I was more annoyed. I was more angry. I was more like oh, frustrated every time I used Twitter for like an extended period of time. And now I'm like, okay, I don't think I want like that short form content anymore. And maybe that's a secular trend that's happening across 
different forms of media. I see. I guess I also have my brain going in a couple of different directions here where yeah. I don't know how similar it would be, but for a while, TV shows have different formats, right? Yeah. That where yeah. Yeah. they're an hour long, they're 30 minutes long. I think yeah. in, in some locales even, I remember being surprised uh, seeing some French TV shows that were like 10 minutes long. I'm like, how does this fit into the American brain was like, no, but the TV shows are either 30 or an hour or, you know, cut down and include ads. But so, like, we, we also have some past experience with, like, this content of different lengths. And I wonder what the breakdown of human interest is for the different, different, different. Yeah, uh, for sure. Like, I, I do think that movies, for example, I don't know. I think I love watching movies. I love going to, like, movie theaters. But it's, like, so fucking hard to find anybody that wants to go to a theater to a movie anymore. And it's, I do think that there has been that change from like you know nobody watch is like as invested in watching like two three hours at a stretch maybe it's more like still yeah. yeah so i think we maybe went too far down the you know 30 second 30 second 30 second uh end of spectrum or probably i think as a, like your core core consumption mechanism yeah maybe it's too far like it's gonna sound like a parent here but <laughs> but like it's probably a balanced diet kind of situation where like, yeah. obviously when it comes to like food diet, you shouldn't eat, you know, tons of candy. <laughs> and like if TikToks are candy, like, yeah, obviously like, even if consumption of content in general, isn't like a, a health thing. Yeah. If you were to view it from a health perspective, it probably is. You want to find the right, right mix. Yeah. I guess I'm also curious on this topic from a creator's perspective. Neither of us yeah. worked in the creator yeah. space. Hey, like, we're recording a podcast, James. Oh, you know, damn, what? Uh, creators. <laughs> sorry, I forgot. I'm talking to my, my famous creator friend. How do you think, like, if a creator sees this coming, how do you think they respond? That's a good question. Um, yeah. I do think that, uh, I think one angle to this, which I wrote about maybe a while back, is like... Uh, maturity of monetization models you know i actually think that youtube has probably one of the most mature creator like revenue sharing models like i think it's like a pretty solid like i think like 50 percent goes to the creator or something like that of like ads that show up in your videos they're probably the ones that actually have like a pretty robust rev share model and then tiktok is not yet i think they're like experimenting with something but i don't think they have it yet so i do think that that is probably maybe moving some of the interest in like that direction also i would also imagine that like as a creator maybe there's like a there's like some combination of like short form and long form content you know in terms of like monetizability and stuff like that like i follow a couple of like uh, personal finance type creators right like and they actually created a decent amount of content on like short form content on like tiktok or like instagram and the way they monetize is actually through like some kind of courses and things like that where they, you know, they like do a course, you know, once in six months, charge like 50 bucks, 100 bucks for like a course, which I would say is probably like medium for content, you know. So I do think that there is something there in terms of more depth and more monetizability, which maybe tilts more in that direction. I think I, I, I like the idea of like this other kinds of medium form content that you could drive people from in your short term. But I do feel like I sound a little pessimistic on any like, TikTok heavy or short form video heavy creator yeah. going to medium form. That's I think I already saw the value, you know, when they first started getting popular is like, if you were a medium form creator, let's say if that's the right term, or even like yeah. a longer form, like an independent long form video creator, or I guess maybe I might apply to audio as well. It was already pretty smart. I think to just take your existing content, chop it up. And it's like a marketing exercise to take, take whatever sweet hook from your video. Maybe it's even, some more, what's the word, experienced or like set up creators, I find usually have a standard, you know, set up for their videos where there's the intro and then there's the ad spot and then there's the, the core content, then there's the outro and the, the and the um, outro ad spot. Yeah. And so you could even take just like the first X part and that's your, your short form video you generate from that. And it's, it's just a marketing exercise. So I do feel like yeah. medium form to short form clear opportunity I, yeah. I still feel a little pessimistic if you're a short form creator yeah. like are you going to be able to develop the skills or make the jump yeah. to medium form is yeah that's a good point yeah and and maybe it's not the same set of creators you know like maybe there is still that demarcation between like short form creators and like long form creators and 
maybe there's more momentum long-term towards, or like not long-term, but like the next like three, five years towards more like medium form content, especially if you're like a new creator and if you're like trying to make some, uh, you know, start being like a creator. But yeah, I think that's a fair take. I think it's a fair take that maybe too much to expect like a short form creator suddenly start doing like medium form. Certainly. And I'm an, <laughs> I'm an avid medium form content yeah. consumer. So so I, I'm all aboard on this train. <laughs> all right. What you got, James? All right. I think for my last take here, I'm also moving away from LLMs. I might be getting a little too invested too deep in like an area of, of, of interest for me that right. might be a little obtuse for others. So in, I'm leaning into the, the hot take because yeah. I think this could happen in a couple of years, but I want it to happen this year, yeah. which is I think Apple will launch some sort of ad mediation business. In my mind, I'm thinking a lot about iOS nice. yeah. in 2024. <laughs> That's a good one. That's a general thing. How I build up to this yeah. is, you know, I feel it's kind of widely reported that iPhone sales are, you know, slowly but surely kind of plateauing. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, I think in general, smartphones as a market, a lot of locales is, is reaching saturation point. Everyone has their smartphone, right? Uh, there's probably still some places in the world where it's developing or like they haven't gotten cheap enough to really gain adoption. But as a premium product, their sales are plateauing. Uh, and I think a lot of expectations from investors or like maybe even long telegraph by Apple was that the way that as this plateaus, they're going to continue to grow is by offering services on iOS. Their core one is the app store. They make tons of money off of that. Yep. I think I could go on a whole separate rant of how they were able to drive ads, ad buying to the app stores, even yep. use the app store stuff to not just be transaction based, but even to be you get the pay for discovery now. And, and so but that is their main core way that they make money, but it's kind of under regulatory threat in the EU. We'll see what happens. You know, I'm a little, yeah. you're talking off mic, I'm really bullish on Apple. And, and, yeah. and so we'll see what actually happens there, but yeah. they, they probably don't want to like double down on that. And, and so this is where my theory of like biggest opportunity yeah. for them ahead of them is ads. Yeah. You know, the Vision Pro could take off, you know, that's not going to take off this year. And and if they want good financial results, they have to find something else. <clears throat> so uh, they've done things in the past to kind of chop out bits of advertising ecosystem on iOS. They, yeah. I mean, ostensibly, they're all privacy forward, good for the user kind of things, protecting your email address when you log into stuff using like a throwaway email for you automatically linked to your, your Apple account or removing advertising IDs. There's even, I don't know what the adoption looks like, but hiding of your IP address from, from people. And these are all tools that advertising companies can use to to show you ads and then attribute that you took some sort of action. Yep. Uh, and, and so <clears throat> in this big advertising opportunity, they've long been kind of combative with these things that you described and kind of really affected Facebook's ability to do app install advertising. They've pretty right. much stopped doing that because of those actions. Really? But, you know, I think that the dichotomy here that is like also at the same time are accepting huge payments from Google who get the money from advertising on their platform. So to some extent, their advertising revenue is already coming in. It's just the Google payouts. And so how can they go further than that? I think they can probably thread the needle and not cutting into Google's advertising. And so continue to have large payments there, but offer be able to, to get some advertising dollars within the app ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And this is because that makes sense. as they could be a mediator here, they could be in the middle, they can choose, are they going to get the money by taking a fee off of people buying ads or taking a component out of, out of publishing apps, but they can be the person that does the exchange of your app ad buyer and so you need an apple account to buy ads and you pay them and then you're an ad developer and you already have an account with them and so they can pay you there right so they they already kind of can sit there and at the same time a lot of companies are adding ads in a lot of places that don't traditionally have them because they are looking for profitability or more profitability people might see this like ride hailing apps is my favorite example is as i'm (laughs) waiting for my ride why am i seeing an ad for hulu you know well i mean that's a way they can monetize and so i think this is like a clear opportunity for them. They can thread the needle of not cutting out Google money. They can thread the needle of being privacy forward. Like they like to be in their marketing. They can, they can, you know, they've never said they hated ads. They always said they wanted to protect the user privacy. Mm-hmm. They can continue to say they're protecting user privacy, but offer this ability to app 
developers to be able to do performance advertising based off of retargeting, you know, could it could be all on device, you know, there's probably some Apple innovations here. But yeah. so anyway, that's my take. It's it's very I have a lot of stuff in my head and I should cut myself off here. Uh so see what hear what you think. Totally. No, I know we're like too close to the ads world and stuff. <laughs> totally. I think I think that's a really good prediction. I think I mostly agree with you. You know the funny thing that I was just thinking about answer is like a bit of a tangent. But you know when I know both of us like work in ads over like the last uh, few years and then sometime last year as we were trying to figure out how to deal with some of the ramifications of like the apple privacy changes and stuff i got like a couple of things from like an apple recruiter for like the apple ads team which <laughs> which sorry i'm not some tangent but uh i think it's like a funny thing where they, they've kind of you know support made made things structural changes to the ads ecosystem on ios which Supposedly, and I, I guess you could say this, it does make like user privacy better, but it's like clearly beneficial, puts them in a better position to actually build like an ads business. So totally. Yeah. I think, I think that makes that, that layup, you know, that makes a lot of sense for like why this would work. Yep, definitely. And I think that's <laughs> another piece of reporting that was in the back of my head is that they're growing this ads team and they're yeah. building <laughs> like the kind of descriptions is kind of like oh they're building an ad exchange and so i think there's <laughs> these things are happening and so maybe the fact that it didn't come out last year was more that they had a hiccup in their development cycle and less that they don't want it but i do think signs are pointing to it they well, they, they even if i was to so far all my thoughts were on ios but like yeah. because they own this ecosystem of mac os ios to lesser than tv os i think there's a lot of places where they could enable like privacy forward advertising yeah but uh it has to all go through Apple, and yeah. so they can get a of it. And because they've organized this ecosystem and made it yeah. theirs, that uh, they they have an argument for saying, "Well, no, this is our ecosystem. We own it. You just you're just okay. playing in it." And, and so it's but- yeah. I think the one other thing to like support what you're saying. I don't know if you read about the Fortnite versus Apple thing. That, yeah. So basically, Fortnite versus Apple, the case happened. It was like a partial ruling. It was like a partial win for Apple, where they did not say that Fortnite had to be let into the App Store. But then they also ruled that it's okay for an app to actually uh, add links to like different payment pages and stuff like that, that are like not the Apple payment system. And Apple basically contested this with the Supreme Court uh, sometime like in the last month, couple of months. And yesterday, basically the Supreme Court was like, no, we're not taking this case on. So that basically kind of closes their uh, they, I think the what that means for them is like if an app actually wants to add a link where a user can go to a web and actually pay less money because you know the app developer is not paying the thirty percent Apple. So, anyways, I think I think that's that's probably like an interesting structural change which hurts their services revenue, which I think also backs up your case for why the ads business is like important to them. For sure. Yeah, it's not gonna, that change is not going to wipe out their, yeah, their transaction revenue, yeah, yeah. but it will certainly and take I've some sort of this in some cases where I think on Twitter, for example, if you buy like the Twitter Blue subscription on web, it's actually like a little bit cheaper than if you like buy it within the entire system. Yeah. And I think anyone that's worked in pricing will know like it's supply demand curve. You can yeah. you'll generate more. And so like lower price is good. And if you can cut out margins, you can it'd be better for you. So yeah, no, I, and yeah, no, that's, that's a good addition. That's they're going to be driven slowly to ads. Sorry, everybody. You're going to start getting ads <laughs> on your iPhones. Um, cool. The one, 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 one uh, tag on I would add to that prediction is like, uh, I think we're going to start seeing ads in like more and more obscure use cases than we thought we would see. Like, I think, I mean, it's probably not a separate, it's probably not a hot take, but uh, in the last year, we've already seen like a lot of new ads, like Uber, Lyft, their ads businesses are growing a lot. I think some of these like buy now, pay later companies have talked about like starting their ads businesses. I was listening to something by like one of the Eventbrite founders recently. So apparently they moved a lot of their business away from like a SaaS kind of business to like charging uh, event hosts for like discovery, essentially. So it's essentially like ads for the most part. And they're kind of moving away from SaaS into ads. Uh, I think we're going to start seeing more and more ads in like more and more obscure places. Like, I don't know, like what's gotten more expensive because of like inflation, like, you know, gas prices goes down, Shell maybe start showing you ads when you're like filling your gas and uh, stuff like that. So I think it's, I think it's become more and more of a proven 
margin lifter, especially for like the margin businesses. You know, I've seen this on like Instacart, Uber, Lyft, all of these. And uh, yeah, the thing I would probably add to yours is like there's probably going to be more ads in more and more obscure places than you would expect them. <laughs> for sure. That's not even talking about the obvious one where like every streaming service now has an yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah, going yeah, ad support exactly. <laughs> even even before you know yeah. Prime Video is now adding it and they were yeah. long time no ads. So. But yeah, I, I think uh, it's going to be a balance for product owners to figure out like what's the right amount of ads to put in. Sure, so it's yeah. like is, is your product premium, so you kind of want to keep ads low, or you know the, like hey, we we talked off mic a little bit about like iPhones probably never gonna get plastered with ads all over the place, yeah. but. Sorry, I mean, like in the OS and things like that, or the native Apple-owned experience. But there are some lower-cost devices out there that have, maybe not today, but are probably likely going to incorporate ads and like the the search experience on device and things like that. Or I think you'd point back even further to like Kindle. There was two tiers. There's the the Kindle that was full price, and there was one that was ad-supported price, which it all had like <laughs> ads. That was in like screen off mode. Yeah, so, yeah, agreed. That's wild. Yeah, I saw that on TikTok about. Uh about basically this business that you you know taxis have those things on top of the taxis yeah. where it's like a physical like billboard kind of thing where you would actually like show ads apparently that was like a company that lyft acquired oh a while back i don't know if that business like still exists but like i totally imagine like obscure places like that where you know you're not going to imagine that to be a code ads business that actually like that like an ads business yeah yeah, no, yeah, you're actually monetizing the car, not just the app. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> or like, you know, your laundromat or something. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. More ads it is. <laughs> <laughs> Two guys paid by an ad company. Loving more ads everywhere. Yay. <laughs> All right, James. This is fun. We will review all of these a year from now and see how wrong we were (laughs) certainly (laughs) and ideally maybe a couple more podcasts than two in the between time you know and that's like oh six months between us (laughs) all right we'll 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 do a few more soon i know we have we've talked about a few topics that we want to like dive deeper into we'll improve we'll keep improving our audio we'll hopefully figure out video in the next couple of uh, episodes and uh i'm excited we were able to do this same thanks james talk to you soon oh yeah